Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. I'm really thrilled to be presenting our first original interview with a lawmaker of 2023, featuring newly sworn in Texas Land Commissioner Don Buckingham, who was the first woman to serve in this capacity. For those of you unfamiliar with the Texas General Land Office or the Land Commission, it is one of the oldest offices in Texas, one that predates the governor's position, interestingly enough. And I will read for you briefly what the GLOW office does. So it was formed to determine who owned what and where after Texians and Tejanos won independence. Today, the General Land Office manages state lands, operates the Alamo, helps Texans recover from natural disasters, helps fund public education through the Permanent School Fund, provides benefits to Texas veterans, and manages the vast Texas coast. I will have Commissioner Buckingham talk about her background. She has a very impressive resume. She's worked in many different positions working in the medical field and then to the state senate and now in the general land office so here is my conversation with texas land commissioner don buckingham let me know what you think of our conversation we're really thrilled to be joined by newly elected and rather sworn in texas land commissioner don buckingham and she's going to talk about what she does in her role her involvement in conservation and what people from outside of texas should know about what's happening in the lone star state right now so thank you commissioner buckingham for joining me Thanks, Gabriella, for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you and reach your listeners. Could you explain your background to my listeners who are unfamiliar with your past political experience? Because in Texas, you were previously a state lawmaker, but I'd like you to kind of explain your background if you can. Absolutely. So uh, my day job was a physician. So I was an oculoplastic and reconstructive surgeon that really, when I came out of my medical training, figured out how much government interferes with healthcare, And so then I became politically ad- active on the advocate side advocating for patient-centered health care. And then that led me to the school board, which led me to the take to the Texas Senate, where I represented Bandera to Temple to Abilene. It's actually 20,000 square miles of the heart of Texas. And then when this opportunity came up, I was very excited about the opportunity to run and now serve as the General Land Office Commissioner. What does the Land Commissioner of Texas do in specificity? Could you elaborate on that position, please? Absolutely. So the General Land Office actually predates the governor of Texas. So when we were a sovereign nation and we were transitioning to a state, we had to figure out who owned what after we had lived under all those flags with overlapping, for example, Spanish and Mexican land grants. And so we became the keepers of maps, the guardians of Texas history, and the steward to what is today 13 million acres of state land. And our forefathers were smart enough to set aside that land to generate revenue to fund education. So we Fund Education, the Permanent School Fund. It's a $50 billion fund for public education. We help with the permanent university lands and fund education at UT and A&M. 
We run the Veterans Land Board, where we have low interest rate mortgage loans for our veterans who want to buy a house, buy land, or renovate their house. We do everything on the coast, all the coastal restoration, um, and we do everything HUD-related for the big disaster recovery. So really helping our Texas recover from big fires, floods, and hurricanes. So we do a lot that touches every Texan's life every day. Does that also include overseeing the development of oil and gas on state lands as well? We do. We're the largest mineral owner in the state as well as being the largest landowner. So we're a very big part. I, I say that this is the tip of the spear in protecting our oil and gas, our border, and our history from what the left is trying to do. Could you explain some of the threats to, obviously, uh, the oil and gas industry and how it's affecting Texas? Because it is one of the largest producers. And for the foreseeable future, Americans are still going to increasingly rely on traditional energy sources. So how have these policies federally affected you all in the Lone Star State, you would say? Well, the good news is, is that we have very little federal land in Texas. So the feds haven't been able to shut down oil and gas here like they have everywhere else in the country. It's why Texas right now is leading the nation in oil and gas production. It really cannot be overstated how important energy independence is. And so many people don't realize that oil and gas, I mean, it's, it's the chair you're sitting on. It's the makeup you put on your face. It's a component of our everyday lives, not just energy. And we saw last Last winter with the Green New Deal policies in Europe, we had tankers of Texas liquefied natural gas that had already gone through the Panama Canal um, and had to turn back around and go rescue Germany from all of their Green New Deal policies. So uh, it's an important component for all of us, and we're going to continue to fight that fight. Could you touch on some of the stuff you've been working on pertaining to the coast? Because you were mentioning that, and I've seen some photos of you visiting some marine life. So talk about what are some of your priorities, especially on the coast, and we can talk about other priorities elsewhere as well. Sure. You know, the Texas is unique in that we own three marine leagues out into the Gulf of Mexico because we were once a sovereign nation, which is roughly 10.3 miles. And our bays, our estuaries, our beaches, our fishing are amazing. And so I'm a huge outdoors person, love to enjoy all of that. But we do so much trying to protect our coast uh, from the hurricanes that come, trying to do beach renourishment and fight the constant erosion that happens and just being sure that we're doing everything we can to support our abundant wildlife and keep it pristine and beautiful. And what specifically led you to have an interest in the outdoors? Do you do fishing, hiking, just general admiration of wildlife? I know Texas has a plethora of different wildlife. I've seen some myself, uh, but could could you elaborate more on your personal connection, why you think that helps you in your role? Sure. I grew up in a ranching family, so I always loved, you know, being out in the open. Uh, my dad was a big hunter, big fisherman, and so I was his tomboy little girl. And just grew up hunting and fishing and being outside. You know, when we take family vacations, I always say uh, they don't have a whole lot of air conditioning in them because we're always rafting a river or hiking somewhere or kayaking or uh, doing something like that. So I love to be outside. I love the outdoors. And I just love all the opportunities that the great state of Texas affords us to do that. What specifically initiative wise are you going to be working on both onshore and offshore for protecting the coast? Um, what specifically can someone in your position do in Texas? We do a lot of dune restoration. We do a lot of um, helping our um, our beaches stay healthy. We we work on our estuaries. We work on being we're providing good habitat for our marine life as well as our our birds. And so there there's a lot to do with that. Um, we are from our oyster bays. I mean, there's just there's just a lot going on to help um, our fishing, our wildlife, and our estuaries and our beaches stay pristine and wonderful for everybody to come enjoy. I often ask center-right politicians about this kind of refrain, 
So I've done a lot of lectures across the country, and I'm not the only person who talks about this, but a fun, I would say, expression that a lot of conservatives are starting to say is conservation is conservative. Why do you think, um, I, 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 I gather you agree with that, that statement. So how do you think um, elected Republicans, whether they're in state positions or federal positions, how can they better articulate that message? Because we see with different environmental crises happening from a supposedly environmentally friendly administration happening, where can Republicans come in going off of what they do for land stewardship, ranching, cattling, hunting, fishing, um, and kind of recapture that perspective of, about being pro-stewardship? Sure. The, the first people to start uh, talk about conservation and how to maintain and preserve our amazing wild spaces were the people who were out there hunting and fishing. Um, so, so to me, it naturally follows. You want, you want, you know, well thought out, even handed, good policies that actually help the environment, not uh, political talking points that make people think you're helping the environment when you're actually not. I'll just pick on wind turbines for a minute. But, you know, if you go by West Texas and you look at those wind blade uh, cemeteries, I mean, they, they can't be ground up. They have to be put in the ground hole. Uh, for Texas, we peak. We're a little unusual for the rest of the country. Our peak energy use is usually in August when it's so hot. And when it's hot here, the wind stops blowing. And so hmm. you have to take everything hand in hand. Um, you not get too lopsided with anything. But again, I think you need to look at the overarching general principles and just be sure you're supporting mother nature in our wild places in a good way and not just in a political uh, marching point way that isn't actually doing what you think it is. Do you think Republicans can expand on that message and go on the offensive and say that they are the true conservationists? Because there are a lot of people in the middle um, who are kind of looking for leaders. They may agree with some Republican talking points. They may not in some other areas, but it seems like on the federal side, especially, and in some states, many kind of feel hopeless about lawmakers on the other side of the aisle, sometimes not representing their interests to safeguard hunting and fishing opportunities, balance use. So what do you say to people who are looking to potentially Republicans to lead on this front or to get reassurance from them here? Well, I, I would just say take Texas for an example. We're one of the largest producers of green energy as well as oil and gas that was brought about by policies of a series of Republican Governors, so so again, everything has a niche. Just don't think that um, that one way is the only way. Artificially shutting down oil and gas, uh, it's it's really when we see the effect that that's had in the rest of the country and how that's increased our oil prices and increased inflation and increased the prices of our groceries. You know, that's not the way to go right now. It's actually hurting our families who are on the borderline and struggling the most. And so, what we want again are just well-balanced, good policies. If you look at oil and gas production, um, you go out to the oil patch and you see that we've got lots of good regulations that ensure that it's done in a good environmental, environmentally sensitive way. Um, and then you go look at a strip mine where they're mining the rare earth minerals that are required for every battery we need in an electric vehicle and the components of solar panels. And you think about the landfill consequences of solar and wind in a lot of ways. And so I would just tell everybody, like, take a breath and step back and see where can we move? Where can technology advance to bring us the energy answers that we need and do it in a responsible way, but not do it in a radical way that actually ends up hurting our families who are on that borderline struggling the most. Are you following at all? I know Governor Abbott has, uh, since he was reelected in the most recent years, he's been tracking and opposing a policy called 30 by 30. 
Is that proposal from the Biden administration affecting your position or raising alarms for you to talk to your constituents about? I'm not sure if you follow it, but if, if you are familiar, feel free to answer. 30 by 30 is horrifying to me. So the Biden administration wants to bring 30% of each state under government control, which basically means that the government can tell you what you can and can't do on your property. And these are people who think that the cows walking across your pasture are polluting, not just the natural gas they emit, um, but also the dust that they kick up as they just walk across the pasture. And so uh, what the Biden administration is doing with this policy is actually kind of hoodwinking property owners into thinking they're getting a conservation easement on their property. But in the end of the day, the federal government is controlling everything that those property owners can and cannot do on their land. Uh, you don't, if you have, if you've been a property owner, you've been on a ranch, you realize pretty quickly how those policies really do not help Texas and are just big government trying to squash, squash little landowner. Yes. And in public land area states too, they already have fulfilled the so-called 30% by 30%, you know, quota, and they don't need to do anymore. And, and sometimes a counterintuitive thing that happens is when there's more federal control, there's less stewardship and less balance use. So a lot of states out West are similarly dealing with it in contrast with public or most largely public land held states like Texas. And so you even see Western states that are largely public held are also opposing it as well. So I appreciate you answering that question because it has been kind of under the radar now they're trying mm -hmm. to put um, biodiversity requirements as it relates to banking and ESG. I'm not sure you handle ESG. I'm not going to inundate you with that because that may be out of your purview. But we will be seeing more, I would say, I think, um, accounting for biodiversity requirements that do stem from a 30 by 30 policy. That's what the UN recently uh, deliberated on and, and agreed to in some sort of uh, kind of whole of government uh, statement that has come out. So we may see that from the Biden administration, but I know Texas has definitely been outspoken about this. And, and that's interesting that your office also handles that as well. You're one of the first, I actually, let me correct myself. You're the first woman to serve in your official capacity. What is the significance of that? I know, obviously, we don't want to just talk about, you know, cherry picking and, and checking off boxes, but it's pretty consequential. How do you feel as the first woman in this capacity? And why do you feel like you're charged to be able to do the role that you're doing? Well, it's an honor to be the first woman. Um, I happen to be by far the most qualified candidate in the race um, as being the only one who'd served an elected office. But I believe in picking the best candidate, irrespective of, of gender or race or identity, I guess, these days. But it is an honor to be the first woman. I do think I bring um, an intensity and a mama bear perspective that maybe wasn't brought here before um, over our love of our great state of Texas and our lands. And so when you look at what this job does from funding education to taking care of our veterans to stewarding our lands, um, it is it is a perfect fit for me. And I'm just really honored to be able to be in this position. What are some of your favorite outdoor places in Texas to visit? I know you guys have Big Bend National Park. You have the Guadalupe River. You have a lot of different places to explore. I haven't yet fully explored all the places I'd like to in Texas, but I know you guys offer a plethora of different outdoor activities. But what tends to be your favorite place to visit? You know, I love every corner of Texas. You know, in the far northeast Texas, kind of by Shreveport, you've got Caddo Lake, which is the biggest cypress forest, I believe, in the whole world. It's an amazing place. Um, all along our coast, our bays and estuaries and beaches are amazing. Um, and it's, it's funny, you know, a lot of people, when I was growing up, they're like, oh, Texas beaches, maybe not so great. But the more I go to other beaches, the more I just really appreciate what Texas has. We have the mountains in West Texas. The Texas Hill Country is gorgeous. 
Um, I just love every part of it and every part of it is accessible and you can get out and truly enjoy it, which is one of the things that makes Texas so special. Is there anything else you want to mention about what your office is working on, what people outside of Texas can look forward to in terms of your work and some of the efforts you're going to be doing? You know, my general theory for this agency is that there, we're supposed to serve the people that we're supposed to serve and we're supposed to do it well. So we're going to be doing that. And that's the metric by um, how we how we proceed on every issue is just who are we supposed to be serving and how do we best serve them. But uh, on a national front, you know, Texas has just delivered the largest disaster recovery of any of our nation of any time with Hurricane Harvey that affected over 49 counties and billions of dollars. And so we're actually bringing to the federal level um, and, it, and, you know, the benefits of some hindsight and just kind of that realization that some of the federal policies actually cause more problems than they help to cure. And so we want to bring that perspective in and get a cooperation among the coastal states, the states that experience hurricanes, and be sure that we have the right policies federally, that when our folks are have endured a natural disaster, we're actually in there helping them as quickly as possible, as responsibly as possible, and getting them back on their feet. Wonderful. It has been such a pleasure to chat with you, Commissioner Buckingham. And I will encourage my listeners and viewers to connect with you. We'll include all the appropriate links to your office, your personal social media accounts, so people can follow what you're doing. Thank you so much. And I hope we can revisit again in the future. I'll look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player. We largely circulate on Apple, Spotify, and countless others, but those are our two big podcast platforms we want to push. Make sure you're subscribed there, especially on Apple. If you like the podcast a lot, go leave us some reviews. We'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys. Moreover, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a little bit on YouTube. We don't populate there, but connect with us on social media. Find me personally on social media with blue check marks. Super easy to find, and I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.